0: You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, we have Steve Horniak, Chief Commercial Officer at Fabric, on the line with us. Steve oversees Fabric's global sales, marketing, business development, and customer success business functions. He has worked in the retail, technology, software, and SaaS business sectors for the past 30 years, including executive and senior management positions at Price Waterhouse, Coopers, Oracle, SQL Financials, Claris, and more. He has also actively participated, prepared for, and executed two IPOs, raising over $300 million in the public market. Steve holds a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and MBA from Virginia Polytech Institute. And State University. Steve, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: You're very welcome, good morning.
0: Good morning. Before we dive in further, can you tell our audience a little bit more about Fabric?
1: Sure, so Fabric is all about on-demand fulfillment. So what we have done is created a proprietary stack of software, most importantly software, robotics and operations and execution that allow uh, our partners and our customers to be able to meet the needs of the click and have to have it now society. So it's all about shrinking down fulfillment. It's about getting it closer to your customers. It's about doing it fast, efficiently. And most importantly, getting people their product the same day that they click to get it. And whether that be for grocers or general merchandisers, we're all about on-demand e-commerce fulfillment.
0: Amazing. Well, you guys are keeping busy then.
1: <laughs> uh, incredibly, incredibly busy. I'll tell you, I'd I, I say you can't time. You know, I, One of my things I always say is you can't time timing. But most certainly this time, we timed timing incredibly well. And while the, the you know, COVID was uh, a very traumatic event globally, it has absolutely sparked e-commerce and put us into a, uh, a time machine thrusting us five years into the future.
0: Oh no! Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think it's there. So many conversations around technology have been thrusted forward. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more? You have uh, flexible deployment models to fit, you know, your clients' needs. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, your platform model versus your service model, etc.?
1: Sure, sure. So a couple of the key tenets about micro fulfillment and why you're seeing it as a big trend. Number one is. Uh, The traditional fulfillment centers and traditional automation is really designed and optimized for regional and large-scale and batch-based fulfillment. Uh, While that is good when uh, next week was okay and it actually worked when today was okay, it doesn't fit the model for same day. So same day, you've got to shrink it down. You've got to get it close to the customers in order to do it fast, profitably, efficiently, and at high Um, uh, velocity to meet order demand, you've got to have automation. So Fabric has created a very flexible topology that can shrink down to small spaces and have the same unit economics as as you do on large scale uh, operations, meaning we can fit in existing real estate and help repurpose uh, the existing real estate that is out there today. which is critical and, and the other thing is really looking at the market and how people are starting to adopt this technology is really two different ways. Um, and it's all about the network right whether mm-hmm. it's either a private network or a public network. Um, it's all about the network and leveraging uh, a network of locations close to customers. So grocers, for example, already have the network. It's called their stores. Right. They're close to the customers. So they can leverage our platform and put it in their store, do an in store back of store, do click and collect and click and deliver from our platform and increase the amount of, uh, of revenue that they can get per foot by up to a magnitude. So, give you an example, a traditional grocery store for uh, uh, doing manual picking in store can fulfill about 100 orders a day without decimating the in store experience and, and turning their store into a warehouse. Uh, by dropping you know, uh, automation uh, like fabric into that store adjacent or back of, you can easily get between 500 and 1,000 orders per day out of that same location. That so, groceries is really looking at yeah, yeah. It, it's huge, it, it's absolutely huge.
0: Yeah, um, it's interesting because, you know, when you talk about unit economics, when you think of grocery, um, it's definitely an industry where they really have to think of labor costs differently, right? Because people going absolutely. to the supermarket, us as consumers have been the, like the pick and packers.
1: <laughs> exactly. right. You're, you're, you're right. We, we have been the labor. We have been the labor in grocery. We, we have been the delivery service in last mile in grocery. And now everyone's expecting that to be done for free. Mm-hmm. so it's putting on any market where there's <clears throat> where, where the margins are you know slim to begin with and hyper competitive in a commodity based market so that 's where in grocers I would say it 's almost a no brainer that they will ultimately uh, ultimately be moving to you know it 's a labor arbitration automation increased revenue play for grocers and so I would call that that 's more of you know a, a platform play where we 'll be installing um, you know on their real estate in their real estate in their locations for, for uh, specific use by them now we may be providing it as a service where they're buying capacity from us but installing it on their location uh, or cooperating it with them um, so it's a couple of different models on that side to meet their financial uh, and operational needs now on the other side general merchandise which uh, is just a massive market and lagging a little bit in same day but we believe it's 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 coming very very soon is more is more used to and there's two different flavors of that you know one are the people that have their own retail stores and the other one is the direct-to-consumer market so on a direct-to-consumer market they're really looking at in essence the next generation 3pl or third-party logistics player where you're able to uh, fulfill orders um, on demand same day Uh, So, for example, in New York City, we've got a uh, a one micro-fulfillment center uh, coming on live right now. We've got a second one in process, and we'll be able to fulfill uh, over 10,000 orders per day out of a 10,000-square-foot facility uh, within a multi-hour period to the greater New York area. Uh, It's just not something you can do from large regional fulfillment centers, and we can do it incredibly cost-effectively. So that's done, that is done on more of a, if you think of a cloud computing-like approach, Mm
0: -hmm. where
1: you're subscribing and purchasing capacity, storage capacity, and in essence, order fulfillment capacity from us. And what we're doing is is we're keeping you close to your customers and your customers close to you. So we're protecting your brand, call it the anti-Amazon, if you want, where uh, you're you're not having a... uh, uh, a marketplace in between you and your customer. You can have that direct um, intimate customer interaction, similar to retail, but being done same day through internet procurement.
0: Okay. Interesting. Um, so a lot to, to talk through here. Um, you know, we, we talked about labor and the impact there in grocery. And then obviously everybody's trying to shrink that last mile. And what have you, you know, uh, what what challenges have you seen and have you, you helped um, them fulfill it when we see companies taking stores that have been closed now turn into dark stores and become centers of fulfillment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's typically the first, the first step is to take an existing store, either turn it into a dark store or uh, pick from an existing store. And that's going to stay around. That's not going to mm-hmm. go away. Uh, that'll be there, you know, I think, as long as, uh, you know, with me and my kids are on this planet, you're going to have picking from storage for fulfillment. Now, where there is high velocity, high demand and high density, uh, consolidating that and automating that will absolutely happen now. And, and you will also see these dark warehouses. Well, you know, why, why are they going manual first? Well, it's quick. It's quick and it's cheap and they can, you know, it, it's it's lower risk, right? So hey, I can throw a bunch of uh, a racks up and I can hire some employees and they can pick. And if for some reason, e-commerce, my e-commerce volume goes down, I'm not as much at a, at a capital risk as I am in going down the path of, uh, of automating that with, micro, with a micro-fulfillment, which is why the, the fabric model of uh, service and being able to have an elastic supply To a third party like us versus building it yourself is becoming very popular. Um, Just like people are really not building data centers themselves anymore. They're outsourcing Mm -hmm. that to, you know, to Google and Amazon and Microsoft. The same thing is going to happen for the on-demand fulfillment. You're going to see less and less owned by people and more and more, um, subscribe to, right. And it's, um, it, there'll still be a mix out there, but more and more subscribe to. So, you know, you know, absolutely, we're, we're starting to see, you know, I'll say a, a transformation of, uh, and leveraging of retail footprints to be able to provide the, uh, the localness for e-commerce fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And then there's an evolution, if not revolution, um, if not a disruption, I would even call it disruption, where that will that will be you know, i call them giant vending machines right if you think of us yeah. as giant vending machines we're going to these giant vending machines are going to pop up all over the place
0: oh for sure i don't know if you saw the article i'm trying to think what supermarket it was um i believe it was uh i'm pulling it up because i have to bring it up uh jewel osco which i don't it's one of the alberson's companies and they are piloting an automated temperature controlled kiosk for pickup you know, Absolutely. outside the supermarket.
1: Right. Absolutely. Now they've got it. You got to get the product into that kiosk. So that's really replacing the lockers, mm-hmm. um, if you think about it, and it's allowing for twenty-four by seven, you know, pickup areas. But that's really not um, replacing what I'll call the, you know, the fulfillment or the picking right. or the actual process. So that's that's taking it one step further. We're we're actually seeing some of our customers looking at doing. Um, You know, I'll say, you know, our giant vending machines Mm -hmm. tied, tied into automated dispense systems where uh, you've got geo, geo fencing location on their apps. And when customers get within a mile or two of the store and directionally, they're coming at the store and they did a click and collect Mm -hmm. the giant vending machine kicks in, has the order presented and prepared. And the customer will walk up to in essence, an ATM like window you know, put in their put in their, uh, their in- user information or swipe your credit card and the product will come out uh, to them uh, without any human interaction whatsoever. So you're gonna see lots and lots of different iterations and versions of the, I'll call it the contactless um, pickup and mm-hmm. the automated pickup. It, it's really in grocers, they really in big box, uh, they really wanna get as much labor out as possible um, because their margins are so slim.
0: No, absolutely. It's an, an interesting um, how they have to rethink that. I also, you brought up geofencing with consumers. It's been so fascinating to, we talk about the accelerated of, of adoption in the industry, but when you think of on the consumer side, our acceleration of, of adopting these things. And you know, if you ask people what geofencing was a year ago, most people probably couldn't answer you. Um, and now it's become like a norm right you're you're, you're- well, exactly yeah. yeah yeah no
1: well it's actually a norm. I mean I mean you know, it's so funny you say it's, it's starting to proliferate into our you know our, the rest of the world I got a I bought a car and, it, and it's got it, it has geofencing built in for the garage door opener yeah and you get close to the house and it pops up do you want to open your garage door at your house and you just click yes so it's, it's coming, you know, it's coming all over the place. So, you know, it, it's people I think were, were frightened of it because of the, hey, you're tracking me, you know where I am. But when you, when you put it into the, uh, the, the benefits that it's providing to you and lifestyle and convenience, I think particularly now and next generation, particularly with, uh, with the pandemic, it's becoming more acceptable.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. As long as you're providing value, right?
1: Exactly. You got to provide value. You can't just be... Um, I'm tracking your traction. You're looking over your shoulder for my benefit. It's got to be, hey, what, what's what's the benefit for you?
0: Yeah, we've done some more surveys because you know we design stores, and so we've been doing more surveys around what are your points of um, your pain points and your points of gratification around flexible fulfillment and and curbside and BOPIS and um, for sure top of the list was same day pickup and notifications. So yep. um, you know, it's now it's I think the consumer is dictating what they need and we need to deliver on it. How do you see um, malls in this picture? How are we rethinking malls for a post COVID future and and them being hubs um, for shared fulfillment services? No,
1: no, absolutely. I mean, we do see malls as part of this and and we're in active conversations with a number of different uh, mall operators. And, you know, the malls are at a, yeah, I mean, they're at a challenging point as you know, because there's, uh, you know, the, the consumer Uh, shopping behavior has changed, right? It's become consumer buying behavior more than consumer shopping behavior. So uh, I agree with you on some of your points, um, you know, with the team about saying that you'll see you'll have less shopping events in the future, but more dollars spent per shopping event. Mm -hmm. So the malls need to leverage the fact that they, you know, they do have great locations. They're there. They've got brands that are there. And they actually provide services for those brands and extended services for the brands. And one of them is, is they've got warehousing there for their excess inventory and storage. Mm-hmm. So we, we do see the fact that malls are going to be more, more experiential, that you're gonna see uh, direct-to-consumer pop-ups in these malls where people wanna be able to touch, you know, touch, smell, feel, try, et cetera, products, but then actually leverage automation at the mall or a giant vending machine, so that you will go through that experience, say, okay, I want to buy this. And then when you leave the mall after your experience, you just go through a drive-through and all of your purchases are there waiting for you and get dropped into your trunk and off you go. So no longer will I have to be a human hanger for my wife walking through a mall. We can uh, you know, enjoy that experience. And then upon leaving, products be wait- waiting for us to uh, to pick up on the way out.
0: I love that picture you painted. I'm like visualizing it in my head. I might have to work with my team on a rendering around that. Um,
1: but it's-, <laughs> it's Substantially similar to me trying to get all the groceries in in one trip.
0: Right, right, no, for sure. But you also kind of segue to the question I want to ask too, like how do you see this, right? The, what you guys are helping in the industry and where it's going, closing the gap between brick and mortar experience and the online experience.
1: Uh- Oh, absolutely. I mean, and in and, and the brands we're talking to, they want to, they want to continue to have that intimacy with their customers and without having the physical retail uh, there, um, it, it becomes more and more difficult to do so. And we're we're hearing from more and more people that they want to be able to have that direct relationship. Um, so going through again, you know, I hate to pick on Amazon. I, you know, Amazon is, is doing well and will continue doing well as a dominant player. Uh, But for, you know, certain products out there and brands out there, um, you know, they want to go direct and not through um, a third party to have that, I'll say, customer intimacy, everything ranging from the online shopping experience, the virtualization of that, to the the on-demand and same-day delivery, and then the unpacking and that experience of getting that product and the delight of getting that product within a multi-hour period of time from when you clicked online. So that's what we're seeing on the e-commerce side. The blending of that and retail is is really, it's more from an inventory and inventory control perspective as well. So think about how many times you've gone out shopping and you look for something and they don't have the product that you want in the size, color, shape oh, that you yeah. that you would like, right? So, so Matt, Exactly, so imagine if you went there and that's okay, right? You, may, you know, they had try on, try on colors or are and by the time you got home the product was sitting there waiting for you right mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. think about that you, think about that as a, as a fantastic experience for sure. if you go to a store and look you, you know it, 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 they, they have you know they have one 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 color but but every size of, of everything and, and or you know samples right and you're you're trying that on go okay yep this is it and you go okay I'll have a brand new one waiting for you in two hours at your door oh awesome Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that'd be a fantastic experience.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I've had that biggest, not to throw anybody under the bus, but <laughs> um, and I'm a big fan of like West Elm and stuff. But when it comes to the furniture industry in, in the pandemic, that I would say that's one group where that's been a pain point. You know, they're, they have delays in manufacturing, they have limited, but not only will they not, I'll see it in a catalog or online, then I go in the store and then they don't have it. And then they charge me shipping and it's like- <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you no, know, the yeah, furniture experience has been horrific. I I, I do agree with you, but uh, you know I, I think the you know automation and micro fulfillment and whether again whether it's manual whether it's my my giant vending machine or others it's going to be a massive market. There's going to be a, you know we'll, we'll be a dominant player in the space, but there's going to be you know a bunch of other players in the space as it grows to you know where it is now, dozens of these in the U.S. to having hundreds. To having thousands of these over the next uh, of the next five years,
0: for sure, for sure. Um, so you talked about you know things being so accelerated in the last twelve months because of the pandemic. Any surprises, learnings that you could share with the audience?
1: You, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things. One is that when the pandemic hit, there was a, an extreme panic, um, you know, amongst the the retailers and the manufacturers or the direct to consumers about. You know, fulfilling orders. And what ended up happening was, as opposed to an a, a incredible acceleration um, of automation, there was an overnight acceleration of in store picking.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so the folks like Instacart, you know, and, and, and the likes of, uh, you know, all of the, all DoorDash and Uber and all these guys that are doing the in store picking and, and delivery of that. They were able to scale very quickly and take advantage of that market, which in essence put a slight pause uh, on it and saying, okay, okay, now, wow, okay, I'm meeting the demand of my customers somewhat. Now we're seeing a second wave come back and we're going, okay, this is great, but the unit economics are not wonderful. We've got to look at automation on where we have our high demand and where we can leverage automation to get our unit economics through labor arbitrage and speed and increased revenue per square foot. And now we're seeing this whole, you know, the second wave coming as an outcome of the fast, you know, a fast and tactical play. Again, that fast and tactical is always going to be there. It's always going to be there for the last mile. It's not going away, but in the hyperdensity areas, we're seeing now a, a huge wave of, okay, now I've got this figured out, Steve, how fast can we get these things in? So the, the next big challenge for all of us in my space is how fast can we meet demand? So in other words, mm-hmm. from the time someone says, I would like a giant vending machine to they have a giant vending machine, um, fulfilling their orders, whether it be as a service, through one of our, our uh, multi-client um, Centers that we're building throughout the you know in the network that we are building, or whether it be leveraging your existing real estate.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. We've done a lot of work with um, with clients. We one of our one of our clients is Nordstrom, and we've um, been working with them on expanding their locals, which is pretty much on demand fulfillment. You know, no no product really sits there more than a few days when somebody pre orders it. Um, but it is yeah, it is interesting. A lot of learnings have come from that. Um, Absolutely. Over this past Absolutely. yeah, over this past year. So where where are we going? Um, you I mean you talked a little bit about it, right? Where you think this year is going? But what what does it look like five years from now? What does fulfillment look like?
1: So I, I think five years from now, you know, you're going to see the you know a, a the disruption be executed upon in the fulfillment space where these traditional mega warehouses it's not that they aren't going to go away uh, but they're going to be basically augmented by local fulfillment centers which in essence has uh, will become the retailer if you think mm-hmm. about it, if you're able to do a one to two hour fulfillment that's virtually the same as you getting your car and going there so i'm not saying it's going to be 100 percent of it um, but there will be a you know 20 to 30 percent of retail is going to go through these local on-demand one to two hour click-to-have-to-have-it-now um, uh, fulfillment cycles. So we, we see that blending of, uh, of retail to a combination of physical, experiential, and instant purchasing with a large number of these giant vending machines that are automating the click-to-have-to-have-it-now need for e-commerce
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: and being able to fulfill that um, within an hour or two. And we see that moving to a service. We see that moving to a flexible um, uh, on-demand service layer, and we see a, a, the networks coming into play where dense areas will have tens to, to, to dozens of these uh, micro-fulfillment centers networked together mm-hmm. and collaborating together to efficiently meet the, uh, the order, demand, and fulfill needs.
0: No, I completely agree. And all of this automation that you talk about it's, and you mentioned buying versus shopping before, right? And I I think what is happening is it's opening the opportunities for brands and retailers to deliver more um, on the shopping experience side, right? They could lean into more experiential moments um, and less transactional per se um, and, and deliver these experiences that are a little bit more gratifying for, for consumers. You guys must also be collecting a tremendous amount of data because I think that's also important when we talk about uh, the math around four-wall profitability and you know that shifting mindset of maybe that's not totally how we think of the value of physical. It's an important touch point for learning and educating and experiencing and, and, and that human connection um, And 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 this gives another avenue to track um, actual conversions and pickups and you know the monetization of it.
1: Oh, absolutely. We you know at the core of it, Fabric is a software company. You know we've got the robotics are dumb as hell without our software. I see that kind (laughs) of in there. They are really no, they would just sit there. and, And and you know and and you know so they are all remote controlled. I would say if you think of it that way. And we did it purposely. The only reason we built our robotic framework was when we started the company five years ago. There was nothing out there that was that could fit in the topology um, and the flexibility um, uh, to hit the unit economics for this kind of micro, high dense uh, automated fulfillment. So we built it. And um, you know, so when we're looking at data, is core to us from an artificial intelligence perspective, and it drives. Um, how we increase the efficiency and effectiveness of our system. So I'll give you one quick example of that. Pandemic hit and we have a center in, uh, in Israel. So our development team is uh, is in Tel Aviv, Israel, and uh, our headquarters in New York City. And the system was designed to do between five and 700 orders a day. Overnight, we had a demand for over 1,200 orders per day. So our, our engineers locked themselves in a room over the weekend and looked at all the algorithms of how we could speed up the robots just a little bit and how we could decrease the distance between the ground robots. So I think of Mr. Ramba's running around with product on the back, bringing it to the picking stations, um, human and robotic picking stations. So how we could inject additional robots into a system that wasn't designed to handle that. And within a very short period of time, we were able to double the amount of volume that we are getting out of this tiny little micro-fulfillment facility to meet the demand of our customer and and increase the revenue that they got, most importantly, increase the customer satisfaction. So, and we did that because we had all the data and we could look at the data and we could see, okay, here's the order patterns, here's the velocity, here's how things are purchased together. How do we make this this giant vending machine Mm -hmm. more efficient? So we are constantly, we've got close to 100 developers, software developers, and we are constantly looking at ways to increase the efficiency of our system. So with Fabric, unlike the legacy-based um, systems out there where you're buying you know, a lift uh, conveyor, uh, you know, a shuttle that's just kind of going back and forth and back and forth in a dumb manner, um, mm-hmm. we are, we're constantly improving a cloud-based system and that's part of the service we provide is constantly improved software. I think of like Tesla, has a, how they're constantly improving their car. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing the same thing in a, uh, for fulfillment.
0: Amazing. Well, you guys have a lot of exciting years ahead of you, I think, because you're really sitting at the heart of where the industry is going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I wake up everyday energy. I've been doing this for, for a while and I can tell you I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate enough to be part of such a great company. Uh, that is square in the bullseye of, uh, of the market demand and where the market is heading. And uh, it's just every single day is a, a wonderful new experience for the company and for myself personally.
0: No, yeah, absolutely, well, I'll be watching. Uh, I'll be watching as you guys continue to evolve. Um, well, thank you so much for being on with us today and, and telling us a little bit more about Fabric um, and your learnings and insights for the future. Um, everyone again, this was Steve Horniak. He is the Chief Commercial Officer at Fabric. Um, and we really appreciate you taking the time with us today.
1: You guys, thank you very much. Have a uh, have a great rest of the day.